Welcome to Land Parties, episode 105 from the Las Vegas Review Journal, brought to you by Blue Wire. I am your host, Ryan Smith, and with me, as always, my fabulous co-host, Lucas Egan. Lucas, how are you, my friend? How was your weekend, brother? My weekend was pretty low-key. I was still uh, just, just resting and recovering from being a little sick. I don't sound nearly as hoarse as I did last week, so I'm glad and happy about that. I sound like my normal self for the most part. The good news is that meant I got to spend a lot of time on my Switch. Uh, not going to nice. lie, I played a lot of Pokemon. Getting ready for Legends, which is so close, just a little over a week away. I can't wait. I am just going to get that day one. That's what I decided. My girlfriend doesn't mm-hmm. know that yet, but that's my early birthday gift. So thank you in advance. <laughs> <laughs> How was your weekend, Ryan? It was good. And speaking of which, happy birthday to your girlfriend. I believe today is her birthday it as is of the today. recording. It Absolutely. is. Absolutely. So happy birthday. Uh, my weekend was, it, it was pretty chill. You know, I haven't, like, I've been on this, uh, I've been playing a lot of Scum. It's this early access game. It's a survival game. It's been super, it's been super crazy. I've been streaming it uh, with Katie Bentz, which is, she's been on the show uh, a couple times as well um but yeah just having a ton of fun of that and and i'm making my final push in destiny 2 which queen comes out in a little over a month so I'm, I'm trying to get the title and get everything in preparation for which queen to drop other than that though uh it has been it has been uh, uh fantastic so I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back and moving forward in some story game right now i'm just kind of playing around with stuff and and uh you know not really getting into anything too serious as we start the year uh regardless though enough about us our wonderful guest a a future class uh what 2021 last year or this this year i'm sorry uh, uh it was announced last year uh dr rachel coward psychology psychology phd research director of take this org thank you so much for joining us how are you rachel hi thank you for having me i am good i am staying warm up here in the great white north uh, in Canada, which <laughs> at the time of the recording, it is blizzarding outside, but I am happy to be inside in the warmth talking to you. Oof, absolutely. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. And we're looking forward uh, again. Uh, Dr. Coward is is in the video game space as far as the science of video games, which is really, really interesting. And just seeing kind of what the data shows. And, you know, especially in this day and age of the Internet, there's so much information that that's thrown at us. So it's nice to see people that they they do this for a job they they look at the data and say here here's what the data is showing us so we're really looking forward to getting into that conversation uh before we do though we we've got of course a couple of topics uh lucas you want to you want to kick us off here yeah so this shouldn't be a surprise to anyone but it would appear that playstation's answer to game pass is uh nearing launch here very shortly and like we said, we knew this was coming. We knew Sony would have to respond at some point to Game Pass. Game Pass is such an incredible value uh, for Xbox gamers. Ryan, this is exciting news. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to temper my expectations because we have to remember this is kind of PlayStation's start into this service, mm-hmm. whereas Microsoft has had time to build up Game Pass into what it is today. However, it's been a long time coming We've all been waiting for it, and this really is is something that will help gamers, uh, especially gamers on a budget. You know, it it will in theory give us access to a lot of new and old titles, uh, and and allow gamers to play more games than they ever really would be able to under other circumstances. So I'm excited, but I would say temper your expectations because they're just starting. Don't expect this to be where Game Pass is today. Yeah, well, and you got to remember a couple of things here, too, is that, I mean, they do have the the PS Now service, which essentially kind of is like that. It's just not good. Um, <laughs> and I don't I don't think I know anybody that actually has PS Now. However, we did report uh, here last last month about them when they first talked about this and how they're going to be run like rolling in uh, PS Plus and PS Now into a tier uh, three 
three-tiered system. So we still don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but this 100% correct was inevitable. If they were to, they have to keep up with the times and what is working. This is a good strategy. We also know that that PlayStation and, and Sony has has bought into Microsoft's uh, infrastructure, into their cloud infrastructure. So again, this isn't a surprise that maybe they look to tap into into that a little bit because uh, otherwise, like like we were saying, it would be so difficult for them to try to start from the ground up at this point in time. Uh, it, it would be, I mean, they would never catch up. They would never catch up. So this completely makes sense. I'm excited to see what it looks like because again, we're seeing, and as this is this is like the part that I love the most is the fact that now we're starting to see Sony and PlayStation play ball with everybody. They see how popular um uh just crossplay has been. They've been opening up more. We know that uh, God of War just came out on PC. I think it's like number 13 on the Steam list. So they're seeing that they're still getting these financial benefits. And with the the pandemic and everything that's been going on the last couple of years, we had the the release and the launch of PlayStation 5. Obviously, those numbers have been drastically affected and they've had to pivot greatly. As you were saying, they're, they're looking to produce more PlayStation 4s, whereas it should be trending the other way. There should be increase in PS5 production, a decrease in PS4 production. So that that right there should be telling you everything you need to know as far as the direction that they're they're going with this. Um, and I know that as of right now, uh, they were saying that some people are starting to see PS5 or I'm sorry, PS3 games popping up on the PS5 store, which goes back to this uh, backwards compatibility. For me, backwards compatibility has never been a real big like I want, you know, yeah, I, I need this because for me, it's like, look, if I'm on a next gen, I don't want to play old gen games anymore. I've, I've moved on. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's exciting. And, it, and it's good to see, though, that they, they are working on being able to easily do this because it has not been an easy process for them. They have struggled and they've never really. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. They did. PS3 at one point in time, the early ones did have backwards compatibility, but then that did not last long at all. So this is interesting. I, I, I this is a move that is absolutely necessary for me. I want to see if it's going to be competitive uh, at all to what Game Pass is doing, because at this point, Game Pass is running full steam ahead. They are giving you solid hits. We've got 30 plus games day one that are dropping this year. There's a lot to be excited for for Game Pass. I don't know. It's going to be hard for PlayStation to make up the, uh, on those numbers. Yeah, I will say backwards compatibility has always been one of those features that sounds cooler than than it is in actual <laughs> use to me. Only because from yeah. a time perspective, right? There, there's no way with, with people's backlogs as long as they are that we have time to go back to all the games we wish we could have played. I think it mm-hmm. could be incredibly useful for catching up on specific series. So, you know, if they ever made... I don't know, an Uncharted 5, say, right? Mm-hmm. In, in theory, Sony's answer to Game Pass could be a great way to get caught up on Uncharted 1 through 4 without having to go right. and, and buy all the all the collections or whatnot. So, like, in those instances, I can think it, I see it being more useful. Uh, obviously, if they start getting the newer games day one, like Game Pass has, that would be awesome. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I'm glad that they're both doing it. Competition can only help and uh, breed innovation going forward. So uh, hopefully, yeah, hopefully it will also help with with uh, accessibility to older games. You know, we've talked before about game preservation uh, just being so tough in this specific industry to go even find older games and finding the means to play them. So this could be a way to introduce your kids, your friends, your spouse, you know, to a classic game, maybe. So all those areas I think are, are nice. I just don't know how much I'd actually use the backwards compatibility part, but hopefully the day one stuff happens soon because that would be awesome. But Rachel, do you have thoughts? Like, are you a, a big Game Pass fan? Or are you excited for Sony's answer to that? Yeah, you know, when it comes to Xbox versus PlayStation, the answer is always X, uh, Xbox for the Game Pass. Like, everyone uh-huh. always, mm-hmm. that's always their answer. I've always been a PlayStation gal. 
uh, PC gal, really, but if I have to pick a console, <laughs> PlayStation gal, I've never owned an Xbox in my entire life. Um, so I'm very excited for this Game Pass thing. And I will say that backwards compatibility, at least for me with the Switch, you're able to play old Nintendo games. And that's mm-hmm. been amazing with my kids. So yeah, not as much for me, but like I got to play Mario 2 with them the other day. Now I do have my OG Nintendo but it was like a whole thing sitting up like on a modern TV. Like I had ordered so many parts from Amazon and yeah, it works, but it doesn't work that great. And like, you know, whatever, it's really convenient to have it on the switch. So I'm a fan um, of the backwards compatibility because you know, how else will my children know the joy of the card game from final fantasy eight? Oh man. Unless I get it. Right. (laughs) Facts. Although I do feel like a lot of that stuff, I feel like moving forward, they they've been porting more and more over to PC as well, uh, which yeah. I love. And I, I'm I have the exact same circumstances. You never owned an Xbox. I've always I went from Nintendo to PlayStation, but with Game Pass, it's like, and I have a PC. It's like, yeah, it, it makes sense now. I could play all these Xbox and with them and and what they've acquired uh, and the studios that they're getting and and just like it's an exciting time for for I feel Microsoft and Xbox and what their plans are for gaming so it's like i want everything i want i don't care i just want it all now at this point yeah i was just having this conversation with my seven-year-old last night my husband and i we were like when we were kids like you didn't have 30 games that you could just pick from you had one and it was 60 bucks right and your parents would only get you it for like christmas okay so yeah it's amazing what we have now (laughs) yeah as a kid there was never a worse feeling than when you got your one game for your like birthday and it turned out to be bad and you were just stuck with it there was not a worse feeling than that yeah because you just had to keep playing. We were watching a playthrough, actually, of Mega Man 3. Classic. Nice. And uh, my daughter was like, how does he know what to do? Like, how does he know which path to choose? And my <laughs> husband was like, because it was the only game he had. And he had to just play it for, like, ad nauseum. Because there's no mm-hmm. other options. Now, you know, my daughter gets tired of Animal Crossing. And she just pivots to the next thing that's available. So, yeah, it's funny. Kids these days, they don't know how easy they got it. <laughs> nope. I love it. Uh, I let's let's stick with the the Sony PlayStation uh, theme. We actually just heard from them, and they are saying they are. I'm going to say it in air quotes, confirming that they still have plans and everything is on track for 22 games uh, to come out this year. And we've talked about this extensively. We know that we know that uh, um, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, Forbidden West comes out um, next month. We've mm-hmm. got Ragnarok that's supposed to be coming out at the end of the year. That was one on the list for me that I was like, there's no way in heck that Ragnarok is coming out this year. Uh, we did say, though, if it does, it would probably be, probably be like a fall to, to holiday season release. Um, we've got Uncharted Legacies. Elden Ring comes out next month. Uh, Dying Light 2, which people are mad that they're saying it's like 500 hours of campaign or something like that. That's insane, by the way. Uh, Gran Turismo 7, Gotham Knights, uh, which I'm really excited for Gotham Knights. I really hope that that comes out because it was supposed to come out last year and we know that it got pushed to this year uh stranger of paradise final fantasy origin that one's definitely uh very high on my list ghostwire tokyo uh tiny tina's wonderlands that's coming out soon uh uh, rainbow six extraction i believe that actually comes out at the end of this month or here in like three days actually uh suicide squad there's a there's a number uh stray that one looks super cute um there's just a number i mean this is i i think this is this is pretty ambitious. Um, I feel like with everything that's been going on, uh, I, I they must be, I feel, in a good place to be confident to say something. I feel that we've seen uh, as of late, especially with things that happened with Cyberpunk and there was just a few games where they just came out and it was just it was just riddled with with issues and stuff like that. And I feel like a lot of companies became very apprehensive as far as putting hard concrete dates on um releases. So this is encouraging, I feel. I still don't know that we're going to get everything that they're saying, but I feel that it, it would be it would be great. This gets me super excited. Uh, Sifu's one of them. So, you know, we'll see 
what happens, but I hope that they're able to to deliver on this because we're going to be getting and again this isn't just dependent on sony obviously uh there's uh, there's studios that are that are working on the the actual games so if there are issues you know i i'm sure this is still kind of up in the air but it, it is rather nice to see that uh they're putting dates out and saying yes we are still confident that the games that we've said are going to come out are going to come out here's our 22 in in 2022 uh so it's exciting stuff it is exciting uh i'm just gonna i'm just gonna double down and and i don't think we're seeing all these games this year and i i just <laughs> any any game on that list that does not have a date I am super suspicious about, which right. is a lot of them, by the way. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I will say this, uh, like in the case of Su- the Suicide Squad and Gotham Knights, right? I seriously mm-hmm. doubt we get both this year. I think we get one uh, unless unless one of them comes out summer and then the other mm-hmm. one were to come out holiday. But you'd think if one was coming out summer, we'd have to hear a date pretty soon here and like weeks uh but right so like the stuff like that god of war we'll see i want that to come out for the holidays yeah but the fact that there's not a date to it makes me super super suspicious I, it's not playstation related but like i'm still i'm still skeptical about starfield that one does have a date so mm-hmm. i i just doubt some of those games are all going to come out right something's going to get delayed i think i'm just crossing my fingers that it's not a lot of them and maybe only a couple like two or three hopefully uh and my wallet might actually thank them if a couple of them were pushed to next year so maybe that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world yeah absolutely uh, dr cower is there anything on that list that's got you excited uh, god of war god of war yes um i just hope that you know you mentioned cyberpunk no broken games no systemic crunch let's take care of these people who make our games and we don't need 22 okay we just want mm-hmm. some good not broken games so, I mean, we'll settle for less. I agree. I agree 100%. It'll be, and, and I, I very much uh, feel that there's been plenty of successful games that have come out that have shown that they don't need the crunch. Um, if there is a little bit of a delay, people are going to, you know, whatever. People are going to get salty anyway. Um, I would rather have that and then put out a solid game as opposed to coming off just straight struggling because it has such a negative impact moving forward. And if anything, we've really seen the importance of having just a solid launch and having a solid game that's there. Um, so yeah, I'm not, you know, I, I would not be surprised. I really would love to see God of war, but I would not be surprised if that ends up getting pushed back. Um, but we'll see. We've got we've got Forbidden West here around the corner. I'm super pumped for that as well. Uh, the game looks absolutely gorgeous. It's a fantastic story. Uh, so I don't know. I will. We'll, I'm, I'm excited. We'll we'll see how it plays out. But Sony's making some moves. Sony's doing some things, and they definitely need to do so. I, I feel. I felt like last year for them was a little lackluster. Obviously, there was the issues of getting consoles in people's hands and kind of bouncing around a little bit. From hey, we're just focusing on this. To wait a second, now we're having to bring in the the PS4, and we're going to be pumping the PS4 more, which completely makes sense. Uh, and they were able to kind of pivot from what their initial plans were. So it's interesting stuff. Just get us the games and, and the people will be happy. So (laughs) anyway, you know, exactly. Um, Let's take a quick commercial break and then we're, we're, we're coming back. We're talking with Dr. Coward and, and science and gaming. We'll be right back. If you love listening to us here on Land Parties, what's stopping you from grabbing a mic and starting your own show? And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. On And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month. 
the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listening to us talk about your favorite team or game, then make your voice heard and hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box in this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com join. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for listening to the short messages. And now comes the fun part of the episode. And as Ryan said, we're both really, really interested to kind of get into your story. And uh, I just have to start, though, because we're, we're both linked now by the future class here. Can you just go in quickly? Like, what was your reaction when you found out that you were selected to be a part of it? Oh, my gosh. I was... It was very, very exciting. I nominated a couple colleagues of mine for the future class, one of which did get in. Um, And so the day I found out that I got in and then I saw the tweet that he also got in, I don't know, it was just, it was very exciting. And I feel very honored to be in such a group of amazing people who are really changing the gaming industry and gaming communities, like from the top down and the bottom up. And there's like all kinds of people there. There's fully sound designers and there's nonprofit researchers and there's just, you know, like all walks of life. And it's really, really incredible. Perfect. And obviously you, you're more than deserving to be in that group because of the work you're doing. Uh, so take us back to the beginning. What got you interested in uh, studying the effects on, uh, on games that, and the effects that games have on people? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, I always wanted a career in psychology. <laughs> and if you want to have a career in psychology, you have to have a graduate degree. There's like no way around it. So I went to get my master's at Santa Clara University to become a therapist. And the first day there, I was like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> that's, that's not for me. Um, but I I developed a love for research and I knew that if I went through the training, um, it would make me a better researcher because I'd be more aware of what clinicians need in their day-to-day life when they're working with clients. Now, I've always been a gamer. That's always, you know, since from a small child, I was always player two. I have an older brother. I played games my whole life. Um, and when I was doing my internship for my master's, it was the height of World of Warcraft. So I was seeing parent after parent being like, is there something wrong with my child? (laughs) Um, And, you know, after like the third or fourth parent, full disclosure, I was playing loads of World of Warcraft, like so much at the time. It was like, should I be concerned about like myself? um, So I started doing research. Like I started looking into it. And at that time, game studies was not a thing. Like today there's graduate programs dedicated to it. But back then there was one or two papers out of Stanford and that was it. Um, So that's when I realized, ah, there's something, there's something here. So I applied to do a PhD focusing on specifically the social impact of games. So how does socializing in online games impact our ability to socialize um, in offline contexts? And then... The rest is history, I suppose. Yeah, that was, nice. that's fascinating. That's fascinating. Uh, how I Now I got to know, how long were you into WoW? Oh, so long. Oh, so long. <laughs> um, I played all through undergrad, all through graduate school. I was like N-level rating, like top couple guilds on my server. Uh, rerolled to Shaman when um, when uh, the Alliance got Shamans. Mm-hmm. Um Alliance forever. Um, and yeah, a long, a long time. When I started my PhD is when I stopped because um, that's when you actually have no time. I mean, you can do it, with that, but you can't do it. You can't do it with a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, and first I'm going to call myself out. It's Dr. Cohort. I've been, I've been saying it incorrectly the whole time and I apologize. I had to call myself out on that, but tell us then from, from doing that, where, where then did you find this, almost this marriage of, of going in and starting to look at the data, look at the science. I know that you have a YouTube uh, channel as well. Uh, site guys, uh, that, that has it all. Oh, my goodness, there is so much fantastic information uh, on your YouTube as far as the science and gamings. But yeah, tell, tell us uh, how that kind of the two came together as far as with that. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I originally went into selfishly, I originally went into my PhD thinking um, there might be something wrong with me, right? Because I kept seeing the parents <laughs> saying there's something wrong. And I'm like, okay. Um, so I went in looking at the social impacts of games and full disclosure, I went in expecting to find differences, expecting to find that games are somehow 
negatively impacting our ability to socialize, whether it's atrophying our skills or whether people with less social ability are, are drawn to games or something like that. And that was not the case. Um, there's very, very little social differences uh, and, and no long-term social differences. If anything, there might be a slight kind of relationship with shyness, but other than that, there's nothing. And when I found that out, I was like, oh, that's really interesting because the stereotype would have you believe, right, that mm-hmm. gamers are antisocial and gamers are violent. And, you know, where else do these misconceptions lie? Um, and that's when I really started kind of pivoting towards not just research, but also science communication. So how do I uncover this information about no social differences and explain it to parents and educators and teachers in a way that's understandable? I mean, it took me a good, you know, eight years to get to YouTube as an outlet, which, um, I think is a very good way to actually engage with the community. Um, but I've always been very interested in how do I take the scientific information and relay it to people who are not scientific audiences. You know, and that's interesting. Why do you think then that that, uh, that image of, of gamers being antisocial took hold and, and it still, I think, probably remains prevalent with some parents? Uh, what, why do you think that's, that's latched on and, and is so hard to – for, for people to let go of. Yeah, you know, it, it's kind of a collective belief. You know, it began in the 1970s when people would do this weird thing called going to arcades um, <laughs> and hang out and not even hang out, right? Like they would be on the machine by themselves. They would also hang out with other people. Um, but this spawned the concern. There's actually a paper called The Electronic Friendship by Senlo and it made a lot of waves and people were very concerned that the games were replacing uh, friendships. And, mm-hmm. you know, at, at the time, you know, people found some evidence to support that, you know, correlational, it is what it is, <laughs> some to disprove it. But in the end, it's, it's a wash now that now that we know at this point. Um, but when you have just the one headline, the one clickbait, the one concern, that's it, you know, people are like, very fearful. And we see that today with gaming and violence, for mm-hmm. instance, because we have literally thousands of research studies looking at the impact of games on aggression and violence. There is no long term impact on, it, on violent media, on behavior. The effect, impact of media is so, so, so small on our behavior. It's basically negligible. And yet we still have these headlines when horrible, violent things happen. So once you get this idea and it gets ingrained into kind of collective belief and collective stereotypes, it's so very hard to change that, even when there's loads in, of evidence to the contrary. Well, and, and let me ask you too, uh, both of us being parents, what would you say to parents as far as what they should be looking for um, moving forward? I it, I know that there's a lot of terminology and stuff that like I start, like I'm finally feeling like that old man where I'm like, I have no idea what these kids are even <laughs> saying. They are, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's a tough place to navigate, but I want to also make sure, and especially for for you know those that are parents and our audience um you know what are what are what is some advice that you can give uh to parents in, in, in video games yeah you know it, it can be scary when you don't have any experience in it and you just feel like i don't know any of that business over there i'm either going to completely <laughs> not allow you to engage in it or i'm just going to disassociate and not pay attention and then just kind of like worry in a corner um my advice is to be engaged. Now, whether that means sitting down and playing with them, you can do that. Not all parents want to do it, but if you're up for it, that's the best way uh, because it gives you something to share with your child, but also gives you a firsthand experience about what they're experiencing. Um, you can also just look over their shoulder while they're playing. And it can be as simple as what are you playing? Who are you playing mm-hmm. with? Um, and just watch it for five, 10 minutes and see what they're playing. My daughter is seven. She loves Minecraft. Okay. I love gaming. I do not like Minecraft. I just don't. I just don't like it. I can't get into it. <laughs> it's just, I was one generation too late for that. And now it's just too much for me. Um, but, you know, I'll sit there. I'll sit there. If I can sit through a child's soccer game where the kid doesn't even know what the goal is, I can sit through five minutes in Minecraft, right? exactly that's funny my my daughter plays minecraft and and roblox and it's a hard time but roblox especially because i know there's ways that uh you know people can communicate i've heard music being blasted through like there's ways so you're right it's super important just even if you're just sitting there for you know 5, 10, 15 minutes just to see exactly what they're doing who they're engaging with uh is super important well yeah and it can start other conversations why do you like this game Right. Do you like it? Because you like fantasy elements. Cool. Maybe we should watch Lord of the Rings. Like that's also fantasy. You know, like it can also start conversations into broader context. If you don't want to play games, it can give you kind of a baseline idea. Oh, you like playing FIFA. 
why don't we go after post-COVID times to a soccer game uh, mm-hmm. and watch it together? So it's it's really important. And also parental controls. You know, in America, you have ESRB, ESRB.org. They have parentaltools.org, where they literally tell you how to do everything, how to limit spending, how to limit time, how to limit by age rating. Like there are a lot of parental um, controls that can be put in if, again, you want to be kind of a bit more distanced, but still, you know, you should still be engaged. You know, obviously you've had multiple published works here. And, and one of the ones that I found most fascinating was the, the video games and well-being book. And can you talk a little bit about what you were able to find and, and what skills uh, games ha- can help teach people that are associated with with uh, increased psychological well-being. Yeah, I, I love that book in particular because it's the first book that is solely published um, with articles about the positive impact of games. Mm-hmm. So even with my previous books, you always have to be, I have to have the chapter on violence. I have to have the chapter on addiction. Like I have to address this. But this book is solely just about positive aspects. So it's like perseverance and perspective taking um, and cognitive flexibility and teamwork and all of the wonderful things that you can learn from games. And the great thing about games and learning is that games are engaging. So you want to play them. So that helps. Um, and also the things you're learning are unintentional. So I don't play SimCity to learn about resource management. I don't play mm-hmm. Minecraft to learn about resource management, but I'm learning it through playing it. Um, so games can be fantastic learning tools. They're being hardest now in, in educational settings. We were talking earlier about Zach Hartman, who is a future class inductee from, from the previous class, from the inaugural class. And he is a high school teacher who uses games uh, for education in this sort of way. So it's really exciting to see the way that games are finally being recognized as tools for positive change and positive influence instead of constantly like violence, aggression, antisocial, blah, blah, blah. Was it important to you to to have a book there that, that focused primarily on all the positives? I mean, it was. You know, the books that I've published with games have always been the books that I wanted when I was in graduate school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's, mm. you know, the video game debate is a book of a series of essays written by experts addressing the major debates in the field. So there is like aggression, addiction, social outcomes, all the major kind of button issues Mm-hmm. Um, that we would have about games. And and that's the book that I wish I had instead of having to read, you know, a thousand research articles and trying to get the information together. And then this one, you know, we still today don't talk so much about the positives of games. I was very optimistic at the start of COVID um, that we would start to see a pivot because we did a little bit in the media towards, you know, games can be good for social connection or mm-hmm. games are great at keeping people six feet away from each other. Um, but we have reverted to where we were before. Um, so yeah, it was important to really highlight the the wonderful things that games can bring. It's not all doom and gloom. And I make this reference all the time. You know, people talk about escaping into games as if it's something bad, but escaping into other a good book is not bad. And and the analogy I always use is I escape and I binge watch The Witcher. I even say binge and binge <laughs> is like not a good word, right? Like binging is not a good thing, but that's cool. I can binge watch The Witcher. But if I spend that same eight hours playing the Final Fantasy VII remake, there's something wrong with you. What are you doing? It's too long. Um, so we really need to, you know, pivot the way we think about games and, and how they're integrated in our daily lives. Yeah, I agree. And and just uh, pivoting a little bit here, you're also the research director for TakeThis.org. Uh, you know, tell us tell us about the uh, organization and what you guys are doing over there. Yeah, TakeThis.org is an amazing organization. I was a fan long before I joined the team. Uh, our goal is to destigmatize mental health challenges and provide mental health information and support specifically to the gaming communities in the gaming industry. So I mentioned things like institutions institutionalized crunch earlier when we were talking about the news. Uh, So we really advocate um, for safe and inclusive uh, workspaces in the gaming industry that may not have the best track record or reputation. We're Mm -hmm. trying to, we're trying to change the situation uh, from the inside out, Um, but also provide information for gaming communities because there are specific challenges that we see in gaming communities in regards to mental health. For instance, if you go to a mental health professional and you say, I play games and they may say, "Mm." Something wrong with that one. Um, we want to change that. You know, knowing about games is a cultural competency, and we really want to advocate for that. Nice. And I, I, I like the fact that, you know, again, and and I, I feel like it's kind of indicative, too, of just the work that you are doing to then go. And because there are, and I know that there's a lot of people, I've got friends in the space that, 
you know, they talk about the uh, uh, just mental challenges that they have and how much games mean to them. Uh, it's so important that that we have these kinds of resources and ways for people to be able to to reach out, connect and and do things. That's one thing that I love about the video game space is that it encompasses so much more than just playing video games. Oh my gosh, yes, the community. You know, Take This has Discord and I call it the most wholesome place on the internet um, because <laughs> everyone is so supportive and we're all just there because we all love games. And you know, and it brought us all together, people from all over the world. And it's really, it is the community. I mean, even for World of Warcraft, going back to that, um, you know, the graphics aren't super great. The mm -hmm. game is old, uh, people still play it. And if you look in the research, they play it for the people. It's the people that keep them there. So the community is so important. Through your years of, of research here, has anything surprised you about what you found uh, on games' effects on people? I mean, I am I was very surprised to find that there were no long-term social effects. Mm -hmm. um, not that I, like, experienced them necessarily, but just because of how passionate people are that they exist. <laughs> uh -huh. mm -hmm. uh, but they don't. Uh, so th I would say that was probably the most surprising. And especially when we look at the stereotype, you know, like overweight, okay, fine. But like as a nation, as a globe, we're generally overweight. So that doesn't seem very specific. Um, ag aggressive tends to be associated with it. But antisocial is like kind of like really a key component. Mm -hmm. um, so I was very surprised that there's, there's no difference in friendship circles. There's no difference in social ability. Uh, there's no difference in, you know, how how confident they feel when they go and they interact with other people. If you look at that as compared to people who don't play games. So that was probably the most surprising. You is there anything that you're seeing? Uh, sorry. Is there anything that you're seeing that you think people should be aware of? Or maybe something is kind of trending in that direction that people should be aware of? In terms of like concerns or just generally speaking? I, I would say, let's just say concerns. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I definitely have concerns. It's not all like candy and roses. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, when it comes with kids, online stranger danger is like my biggest, biggest thing. Like you mentioned Roblox mm -hmm. and like Minecraft. Minecraft, you can interact with other people as well. Um, and, you know, the work that I'm doing now, and I'm talking at GDC this year in March, which is the Game Developers Conference. Uh, I'm giving a talk in collaboration with my colleague Alex from Middlebury University about the landscape of extremist behavior in games. So, you know, talking about recruitment and um, extremist propaganda existing in gaming spaces. So there are things to be concerned about. But for me, my, my biggest concerns and the ones that I'm most looking at now are kind of the social ones. So, um, d you know, bad actors in the spaces, potentially talking to your children in ways that are inappropriate, um, hate and harassment, you know, the hate and harassment of game creators on social media is another area of research that I'm, I've been looking into in the last year. Um, you know, people don't like a game or got a war yep. coming out, you know, where am I going to take that salt to? I'm going to take it to Twitter. I'll be real mean. Like, you know, yep. that has... Long-term mental health repercussions, it's absolutely horrifying the things that people will say um, to game makers um, on the internet. So those are the those are kind of the trending concerns that I'm I'm looking into personally. You know, I was about to touch on that. The the gaming community can be a, a powerful space. Uh, unfortunately, we all, we always see examples of, of when it can turn toxic. And yeah. what you know, when you're dealing with a space that is is generally unregulated or dependent on acting after the fact when somebody's reported, like how what can you do to help yourself and, and others, you know, that, that are close to you kind of be ready, be on the lookout, but prepare to not to, to try and not let those attacks or, or those bad actors kind of get to you on, on a level that affects you long-term? Yeah, great question. Um, sometimes it's hard to not let it affect you long-term. You know, the more severe ends of, of what I call dark participation, you know, hate speech, doxing, squatting, mm -hmm. those sorts of things have been associated with long-term mental health repercussions like PTSD symptomology. Like it's not just like, oh, it happens on the internet and I, and I can forget it. Um, I would say there's two folds here. One, if you are um, experiencing these things and it is difficult, which understandably, uh, takethis.org has a lot of mental health resources. There is many, many um, organizations you can reach out to. The Games uh, Hate and Harassment Hotline is a specifically trained hotline where they know about games, they know about gaming culture. It's a fantastic place. Um, they, they have a text line and a call line. That's something I would highly suggest. The other thing is, on, like from the ground up, 
Um, research has found actually having an ally on the ground with you is the best defense. Maybe not an ally, maybe an, an active accomplice, uh, as Tanya DePass likes to say. So if, if we were playing a game together and, and somebody was saying something horrible to me because I'm a woman, having an ally that is a male is of a similar, you know, status of the person who's attacking me saying, Hey man, that's not cool is actually the greatest way to stop the behavior. Of course you should report it. Of course you should, you know, do all those other things, but standing up for your fellow gamer, um, can have the most effective and, and quick results. So for those listening, I would say don't shy away from standing up from those around you. Uh, and if you are a victim or if you are a bystander, you know, these effects can also have bystander effects. Um, I would go to take this.org, go to mental health resources, lots of free resources and lots of places where you can find support and information. Yeah. And you know, you had a, a great episode on uh site guys as well. Uh, the toxicity in games and gaming cultures. And I just wanted to, I, I, there was a, a section there that you talked about the three steps that could be done today to curb toxicity in games. And if you haven't checked it out, you need to check out that video because it's fantastic uh, and everything else that's on there as well. Uh, but you said, A, uh, better reporting tools, B, stronger community guidelines, and C, uh, collaboration between industry and, and researchers. And I wanted to kind of go into that um, topic right there real quick. As far as uh, if you can just kind of go in a little deeper into a ca uh, collaboration between the industry and researchers and what that means and what maybe that could possibly look like. And is that something that's currently happening? Yeah. You know, collaboration um, just makes for better science. You know, as researchers in game studies, we so often rely on self-report. So I develop a survey, I put it out into the world and I ask you, you know, how much do you play games? What do you play? In hindsight, can you tell me how many times you've experienced, you know, hate and harassment or whatever? And that's where I draw my conclusions from. And that is valuable and that has value. But when I could also pair it with, let's say, an organization with a large group of game playing users who could distribute the survey to a much larger network, for instance, or mm -hmm. could give me gameplay data so I can have kind of like a hard server based information. Like we're so bad at judging how much time we play games. That's been well established. If I can know <laughs> that you're not playing 20 hours a week, you're playing 80 hours a week. That makes a huge difference in, in negotiating and understanding what do these findings actually mean? Um, I did my GDC talk last year. Uh, it is available on YouTube. It's open in the vault about, about this specifically about industry and research collaborations and about data sharing. And in that talk, I actually say, uh, you're probably sweating now that I'm mentioning data <laughs> sharing. Um, but, you know, sharing data and or giving access to people in which to survey um, would change the game, you know, completely. These studies that we're talking about, let's just say with like aggression, there are studies of maybe 100 people, 25 people if it's in a lab. I mean, there's a few exceptions, uh, but generally speaking, there are such small samples because that's all we have access to. And they're usually undergraduates at college. Uh, so being able to actually access, you know, the diverse gamer population uh, would give us a much better idea of what we're actually seeing here. You know, it gives you more robust results, as we would say, um, in the research world. And no, it's not really happening. Not that often. Um, last year, there was an article published by the Oxford Internet Institute where there was an exception, Nintendo of America. Mm -hmm. um, actually gave and, and electronic arts uh, gave them some data to look at. And it was really fascinating. And one of the reports to come out of that was the fact that we are terrible at estimating how much time we play because they <laughs> compared it. And it was like, just like here and like here, like it was so off to, to what you actually do. Like, That's why we should People don't want to admit it. <laughs> yeah. 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 You don't want to admit it or you just like literally don't know. Right. right. Like, I don't know. Five hours. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think it would take to get more of these companies uh, to be willing to to partner and and get some more of this research going? It's a great question. I mean, I hope that this Oxford research really helped because uh, it got so much press. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's actually what I what I say in the talk is like, uh, you, do you want good press as the gaming industry? <laughs> work together. And, and, you know, it's not like we're spinning our results to be good, but it's like you are making our findings much more robust. So the fact that they right. found positive mental health impacts of games means a lot more now because they had a hundred thousand people and they had server data um, and they had your, the blessing of Nintendo, which I, I'm still impressed that that I, I, 
how did they crack the nut of Nintendo? I don't know. Um, <laughs> they're, notoriously, they're notoriously kind of like on their own island compared to everybody else, um, right. literally and figuratively. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure what it would take. I mean, as researchers, like we always say, like we're more than happy to anonymize the data. We don't have to say what game it came from. We don't have to say anything about, you know, anything. Just give us the server data and, and let us make some findings. And people are just generally hesitant. I mean... I don't know. I would love to know. Call me. Let me know. Let me know what I can do to get over that hurdle. I'm happy to. I'm happy to have that call. What do you hope people learn and, and take away from some of your work? You know that games are just one of many things that we do. Uh, that games are not the scapegoat for every negative, bad thing that can happen, mm-hmm. um, and that there's a lot of positivity and joy, both from just like playing games and and immersing yourself in these beautiful virtual worlds. Again, like Lord of the Rings, I was listening to a, a Conan O'Brien podcast where he's talking about Stephen Colbert and how much he loves Lord of the Rings. You know, we get so immersed in these fantasy worlds. I feel the same way about every Final Fantasy I've ever played. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, there's just so much joy and love to be had in these in these places. And I'm I'm sad to think that the only time people are gonna finally get off this games are bad is when VR becomes affordable and everybody's there. And then they say, Oh, those other games were fine. It's the VR that's the problem. Because <laughs> that's clearly what's gonna happen, right? right. But I don't wanna wait that long. Um right. so yeah. <laughs> Uh, I have to, I have, okay, now I have to ask a little bit of a tangent question here because you, you bring up VR and I I think VR, and I know this is not a great source of information here, but in in the media, through anime, through movies, you know, through science fiction novels, VR has always been presented as, you know, the ultimate in, in, uh, in immersive entertainment, but also that like the dangers there that people get lost in these worlds. They never want to come out, you know, uh, like, like admittedly I'm a big sword art online anime fan. And like the, the whole crux of that is they get trapped <laughs> in, in their VR world and all that stuff. So like, like VR, like Ryan and I both have, have a quest and I, I, we, I love it, love it. But is there a danger inherently when you start having a, a, a more immersive form of gaming? Yeah. I want to have a funny answer. And my funny answer is not for me. Cause I get motion sick. So I, don't, yes. I, don't um, I can play for about two minutes and I'm done. Um, oh, no. you know, it, my, it makes me think of Black Mirror. Do you guys uh-huh. watch the show Black Mirror? Yes. Yeah. It makes me think of like San Junipero, right? Okay. Are we at that point of VR? No. Um, you know, and they're also dead. <laughs> so that's like different. <laughs> if you haven't seen that episode, you um, but generally speaking, if I want to just take like a research perspective and just kind of like postulate, because obviously we don't really know because we're not there. Generally speaking, our brains are really good at differentiating real from fictional, just like mm-hmm. even photorealistic, you know, and the example I like to give, and, and if you saw the video on Psychice, I gave the same example, watching a Tarantino film. The way I feel watching a Tarantino film, like Django, I'm like, ooh, it's kind of cringy. But if I was in that house at the end of the movie, like that would be a different feeling. Like that yep. would be more than just cringy. That would be mm-hmm. horrified. Um, and so... Yes, there can be, we can enjoy VR and have a preference for it in some ways. I really enjoyed World of Warcraft and the social environment that I had there. Sure, mm-hmm. the same could be in VR. I can be taller, I can be thinner, I can be prettier, whatever it is. But I know that it's not reality. I know that everything is not taking place there. So until we get to that point, I think that we... Then, then it's like Ready Player One, and then it's like a requirement that you live there, right? right like then right. it's just like part of life. So I'm not so concerned about that because um, we still exist in I don't know meat space. Is that what you call it? Meat space. <laughs> <laughs> I like that meat space. I'm gonna start using yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, and I totally. I, I yeah. I, I can see that, but I, I feel like there's definitely a trend. The technology isn't quite there yet, but. Uh, in the future, I could totally see something, you know, and that I mean, being a part of our lives. I mean, we, there's the other Black Mirror episode about the the people in the fighting game. Yes, there, that is that yeah. is a thing. That I is, forget what that one's that's, called. That's one thing about Black Mirror. Black Mirror really knows how to make a person feel uncomfortable. I and love just, that just, yeah, I know, I do too. It's just like, you yeah. just never know what you're going to get. And that, that's no. the fun of it. It's almost like, it was almost like a, a modern day uh, uh, Twilight Zone is always, it's what it yeah. reminded me of. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they but they they preferred it, right? But but there was a differentiation still between real life and their virtual life, right? That was like date right. night was their was their virtual life, but they lived the rest um, in the real world. So yeah, yep. interesting, interesting yep. to think about. It really is. Again, Dr. Rachel Cohort, thank you so much for coming on. Tell us where can people find you? What do you have going on? I know you have the uh, uh, GDC uh, speech. Yeah. What does what does the rest of your lo- year look like as well? Oh, you know, lots of things. I uh, <laughs> I have three children and they're all home because of COVID. So I don't know how many things <laughs> are going to happen this year. But um, you can find me on YouTube. I will I will be there this year. Uh, YouTube.com slash Zeitgeist. I have new shows this year as well. I have a really fun one called Reaction Time where me and Dr. Sarah Hayes, who's a clinician, sit down and um, complain about about other therapists yes. and how they're portrayed on TV. <laughs> it's really fun I love today. It. I love um, it. So there's that. And uh, hopefully I'll be at PAX East. Fingers crossed that I will be at PAX East in Boston at the end of April. We'll see. Nice. Excellent. Thank you again so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Lucas, my friend, what do you got going on this weekend? I'm still in full Pokemon mode. I I am there until the 28th or 27th, whatever that game comes out. I'm ready. Yes. Ryan, we just got to count the days down. Also, my Packers are still in the playoffs. We're going to play the Niners and, uh, if we win, I might be wearing my Packers jacket on the episode next week. So just be ready for that. My apologies, Ryan. I know that uh, playoff <laughs> playoff football was not part of the, the the game plan for the Bears this year. It hasn't been for a little bit now. <laughs> That's right. I'm still having fun watching the games. There were some really good games uh, this past weekend, too. So it's, it's no pressure having to worry about my team losing. They ain't even in it. <laughs> <laughs> but what are you up to this weekend? Uh, much of the same, probably. We we definitely have some plans for Scum uh, this Thursday. And then I'm not sure what I'm going to be doing on Friday. I've been doing, I, I've been looking at maybe uh, possibly starting a new game or going back and finishing something that I need to. But for the most part, probably just keeping it chill. I just did a fanatical bundle, uh, 15 bucks, uh, eight vr oculus games so i've got some work to put in i was like yeah for 15 bucks i was like why not why not so probably messing around with that my niece and nephew are actually here right now as well so they've been they've been fiddling around it's nice they've got a longer extended weekend uh with the pause going on right now so they they're staying over here and just hanging out so it, it should be good and chill we hope you guys have a good and chill rest of your week don't forget hit us up on the tweeters at land parties pod at lucas Hagen or at smitty 2447 again we hope you guys have a fantastic rest of your week thank you so much for listening we'll see you next time and you know what it is we love your faces